gospel according to John is, I think, one of the most valuable of all the gospels. Or sometimes, as you've heard the word synoptic gospel, I think John Harrison, when he talked about Luke, may have used that word, how that Matthew and Mark and Luke are very similar and are alike, and they see things alike. That's what the word synoptic means. John was written later. Some would put it maybe just before 70, but I think the date around in the 90s is probably more accurate. But he knew the things that had been written by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he was an eyewitness. And he wanted to reveal things that the others had not brought. And so there is a great portion of the gospel according to Luke that is very, very much unique. No other place can you find that information. And I'm thankful for that. I'm grateful for his perspective. John is very much of a a spiritual type gospel. Very simple language, but very profound. You know, sometimes we think big words mean profundity, but they don't. Sometimes the small words can be so elegant and so meaningful and so very deep. And we need those. And John is an expert at giving those kinds of of things. As you turn toward the end of the book of John... You remember there is the statement where he gives his reason for writing. John chapter 20 and verses 30 and 31. He said, Many other signs therefore Jesus did in the presence of the disciples, uh, which are not written in this book, but these have been written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that believing you may have life in His name. There's a reason why he wrote. He wanted people to believe in Jesus, and that's the purpose of all four of the gospel accounts. They're like tracts. Sometimes we think of them as a biography, but they're not really so much a biography. Someone has estimated that only 21 days out of the life of Jesus is mentioned in the gospel according to John. That's a very brief period of time. And a great portion of that, of course, is in His last days up to His resurrection. And so whenever you think about it from that standpoint, here is a very brief glimpse of the life of Jesus. This is why in John 21 and verse 25, as the book ends, it says, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books which were written. I think that's quite a statement about the life of Jesus and the things that He did. So much that is there. I think it was a few years ago that I did a a 12-hour lecture. It was a short course for a school in Georgia where I was teaching. And uh, I lectured for 12 hours on the book of John. Well, there's no way we'll be able to deal with all of that here tonight or even to introduce the book adequately. But I want to take a little sliver and maybe one that you haven't thought about. And that is, I want to look at the relationship that Jesus had with His Father and how He lived. I think this is a very important aspect of it. And for me, it may be the main lesson, or it is in my thinking, and one that has made a great impact in my life when I think about the gospel according to John. You know, the Lord Jesus has always been more than a hero to me. He's the model of how we should live how we should be, how we should worship, how we should relate to other people, and especially how we should relate to our Father who is in heaven. 
And he always refers to him that way, our Father, who art in heaven. He's our Father. And he teaches us how we need to to do that. I want to look at a passage that is in the middle of Jesus' last discourse. And this is in chapter 14, which I think is a marvelous chapter and perhaps my favorite of the book. But he's there talking to his disciples. He knows that he is going to die and that he is going to go to the Father. In fact, there are many, many times that he talks about where he's going. Where are you going? And he says, I'm going to the Father. In fact, there's at least a dozen times, close to a dozen times, where he mentions that kind of an idea of going to be with him. And and, uh, he has that, of course, ahead of him. But he knows that he's going to have to die first. And he's thinking about his disciples and what's things going to be once he dies. How are they going to manage? And he talks to them about those kinds of things. And he helps them saying, look, don't you be afraid. There's something more to be said than just that I'm going to die. God's going to be with you. The Spirit will be with you. And so he made a promise to them in John 14 verses 25 and 26. He says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And that's important for them to know. That the Holy Spirit would be there and He would be first of all reminding them of all the things that Jesus had already said. And He would give them that knowledge that they needed whenever they were called upon to say, this is what Jesus taught. This is what He wanted to do. But He will teach you all things. Boy, don't you wish that sometime you could almost be there to have heard Jesus? I've heard, Mike, some great preachers in my lifetime, but I would surely love to have heard Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that have been wonderful? Or even one of the apostles that knew Him, to be able to hear from their lips. But when He left them, He left them in peace. He didn't leave them worried and wondering what's going to happen. He knew that there would be something that He could give to them that would be lasting, a peace that would be helpful. Verse 27, He says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. And so He says, Let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid. Don't don't worry about things. Don't get all upset. Don't get worried and don't get afraid. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to leave you my peace. Now, Jesus knew that He was going to be a sacrifice. He knew that dying on the cross was not just being killed, but actually would be a sacrifice and it was in the will of God. And it's what He came to do. So he says in verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. And then he says, and he has no claim on me. Now you would think, oh, the devil's going to win. No, Jesus says, the devil's coming. Yes, I know that, but he has no claim on me. Jesus had lived a sinless life. He had done the right things. The devil hadn't overcome him. Oh, the devil had wanted to. He tried to tempt him as we read in Mark, excuse me, in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. But Jesus overcame those temptations. 
He was faithful to God. So the devil didn't have a claim on him. He was going to be that sinless sacrifice. And I'm so thankful. But it's in verse 31. Of all the verses, this was the one that struck me the most. He said in, I'm quoting now the ESV, But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Just like the Father commanded me, just like the Father told me to do, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do it so that the world will know that I love the Father. Now that really is the driving force of what it means to be a Christian. You do what God instructs. You do what God says. And when you do that, then the world knows that you really love God. You really care about God. And that was the heart of Jesus Christ. The New American Standard puts it a little differently and uses a little different language. It says, But so that the world may know that I love the Father... I do exactly as the Father commanded me. And then he said, get up and let's go from here. Now the NIV uses the same kind of language. It says, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let's leave. Jesus was not just going to do a little bit about what God said to do. He was going to do just as. He was going to do exactly as some of the version puts it. And that phrase we're going to see a little bit later on as we get down into it. But I think two things are very significant here. Number one is that Jesus wants the whole world to know that He loves the Father and was willing to die at His command. Now that was not an easy thing. Hebrews 5 Verse 7 talks about how Jesus is at Gethsemane and how He's praying with loud crying. But God hears Him because of His piety. Well, what was He praying? Most of us think about, let this cup pass for me. But that was not the whole prayer. The rest of the prayer was, not my will, but thine be done. That was the heart of Jesus. That was the love of Jesus. That was the direction that Jesus wanted to go. And God heard him. And though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Being then made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. It was because he was willing to do that. That he was able to be the author of your salvation and my salvation. That you could have eternal life and I could have eternal life. That was not any small matter. When I think about Jesus, Jesus loves the Father and is willing to give Himself. John chapter 10 and verse 18, He says about His dying, He says, Nobody takes it from Me, but I lay it down that is My life on My own accord, by My own initiative. I do it because I choose to. I'm going to do what God wants Me to do, and I choose to be obedient I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. And this charge I have received from my Father. Now he did that because he loved the Father. And 
We need to understand that love and obedience are not poles and poles apart. I, I really hear some people make the terrible mistake of thinking that every time you use the word obedience, that somehow or another that's a legalism or a ritualism or there's no emotion involved. You know, I remember Romans 6 and verse 17 where they obeyed from the heart. Why should we think that obedience is somehow something that's far removed from our feelings and from our intentions and our emotions and from our determination and from our intention? Jesus died because He intended to die. And He died because He loved the Father. And He loved you and me as well. John 15 and verse 9 and 10, it says, As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. Love and obedience are joined together in the Gospel according to John. And we're going to see that more and more, especially in these chapters, as Jesus is looking toward the cross. Now, keeping the commandments of the Father exactly was how Jesus demonstrated His love for His Father. You know, when you do things exactly, it means you listened. (laughs) I don't know about you, but as I grow older, as a man, I have to work a little harder to listen. I think listening is a hard task. Women seem to do it better than men do. And I think part of it is because a man is so focused on whatever his mind's on, and things are external. We catches this, we doesn't catch all the other things. But I want you to understand that listening, which is one of the most important skills of life, listening is the first step to obeying. And you know what listening is? Listening is saying to the person that you listen to, I love you so much, I'm going to hear what you have to say. I want to know what you're telling me. And Jesus listened to the Father. The word obedience really is is akin to the word listen or to hear. The word hear in Greek is the word akuo. To to obey is to hoop akuo. That is to hear under. That is I'm going to hear you and I'm going to submit to what you've told me to do. And Jesus was obedient. And His obedience in keeping the commandments was how He showed His love to His Father. He paid attention to Him. And He did just what the Father told Him to do. I think about keeping commandments and how important that is in showing our devotion. Obedience is not legalism. Obedience is not Phariseeism. Obedience is love. And it's how we love God and how He wants to be loved. Now, when we look into the Old Testament, there's a lot of language that's found there that's brought over into the gospel according to John that I think is very important. Let me give you some for instances. Noah, Noah, go build an ark. And he told him exactly how he wanted him to build it. Well, in Genesis 6 and verse 22, it says that thus Noah did. And then he says, according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. Now, this phrase, according and so, are words that talk about an exactness. 
He did exactly what he was told to do. Why? Because he was going to be obedient. Why? Because he wanted the saving of his family. I think about Moses and how Moses was faithful. In Exodus 25 and verse 40, there God told Moses, and see that you make them, speaking about the things relating to the tabernacle, you make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown you in the mountain. God showed him a mountain. He said, I want you to build it just like this. You know what? You think about how many chapters there are in the building of the tabernacle in the book of Exodus. There's more than a few. That's what was said in, verse, in chapter 25 and verse 39. He's picking it up again. Oh, I know there's some other little stories there. But look at what he says in verse 39, 42 to 43. It says, So the sons of Israel did all the work according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. And Moses examined all the work, and behold, they had done it, look at this, just as the Lord had commanded. This they had done, so Moses blessed them. Moses was going to double check. He wanted to make sure everything was just like what he was there. God had told him, you be faithful. You build it just the way you're supposed to build it. And Moses did. He made sure that everything was just like it was supposed to be. And so the book of Hebrews, when it talks about Moses, talks about him being a faithful son over his household. When I think about Israel and some of the things that are found in the book of Deuteronomy, if you ever want to study how to study the Bible or how God wants to be obeyed, study the book of Deuteronomy. Read it again and again. Read it in more than one version. And one of the things that you're going to find as you read through the book of Deuteronomy is that there are a lot of various adjectives and adverbs that talk about how God wants to be obeyed. Here's God speaking to us saying, here's how to do things. We ought to listen. And you know what? Jesus fulfills some of the things that were taught in Deuteronomy. Does that surprise you? It shouldn't. He was part of the Godhead even then. He knew what was in the law. And he lived according to the teaching of the law. But look at the phrase careful. Chapter 12, verse 32. Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take away from it. Well, we know that last part. But he says, you you be careful to do what's there. Do what you've been told. Or Deuteronomy eleven twenty two to 23. He says, For if you are careful to keep all this commandment which I am commanding you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, and to hold fast to Him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you, and you will dispossess nations that are mightier than you. You think about that promise. You do what I tell you and you'd be careful to do those things. And God will be there. He'll bless you and He'll help you through this challenge of going to the promised land. Do you know that the word careful and the word carefully, the adjective and the adverb, are found 27 times in the book of Deuteronomy? 27 times. That's in the New American Standard. You add an NIV, it'd be 31. 
you had a New King James, it'd be about 26, 27, but sometimes it's the word diligent rather than the word careful. But the concept is still the same. God wants you to do it and do it right. And be careful to do it. Then there is the idea of acting lovingly. We are to take the commandments to heart. This idea is commanded four times in the book of Deuteronomy. In chapter 4, chapter 6, chapter 11, and chapter 32. The word heart is found 46 times in Deuteronomy. And the phrase, with all your heart, is found nine times. These are important lessons to do things with your heart and from the heart because it's important. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5, part of the Shema, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your might. Oh, that would have been in that little uh, mezuzah that would have been on every door and every gatepost. It would have been there. Or Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 and 13. He says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you except to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Do you know the idea and the concept of love is found more times in the book of Deuteronomy than in all the rest of the Pentateuch combined? It was important for the people not just to obey Him, but to love Him, to be committed to Him, to serve Him. And a part of that was in their obedience. Now, in the book of Deuteronomy, there's also a great emphasis in lots of different phrases on the idea of accuracy. Now, that sounds like a funny word, accuracy, to accurately obey the Lord. Well, this vocabulary brings this out. One of the phrases is the phrase to act as the Lord commanded, or just as the Lord commanded. In this passage in Deuteronomy 5, 32 and 33, You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. But did you get that idea? You don't go to the left, you don't go to the right. You don't add, you don't take away from. You walk in all of the ways that He's told you and you do just as the Lord has commanded you. Now in the Pentateuch, this phrase to act just as the Lord commands, from Exodus through Deuteronomy is found 69 times. 69 times. And 12 times... They are in commandments. The remaining 57 times are in examples and commendations of people who did just as the Lord commanded them. There's another phrase that comes along with this, and that's the phrase to act according to. Act according to. You're going too fast for me now. We're not ready for complete yet. You do act according to the instruction or the commandment or the ordinance or the statute or the word of the Lord, and this is found 43 times in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, if your mama told you something 64 times, do you think you'd get the point? I tell you what, I've known some boys that took their mama telling them 64 times before they got the point. But God meant what He said. And there was a reason why he kind of had that broken record of saying it over and over and over because it was important to him. 
important to him. Then he wanted them to be complete in their obedience, to do everything that they were supposed to do. Deuteronomy emphasizes doing all the will of God by keeping all the commandments or every commandment and walking in all the ways of the Lord some 31 times. 31 times. That's almost once a chapter. Now, all of these things together make it very, very clear of how important it is to do everything that God asks us to do. That when we obey Him, that means we obey Him in all points, not just the points we select. Not in just some things, but other things we kind of ignore. Now, if you're going to be a Christian, you have to be completely a Christian to do things the way that God wants you to do. In the New Testament, in the last words of Jesus, in the Gospel according to Matthew, He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. And that's why he would teach them all things and bring to their remembrance all that he had said to them. He wanted them to know everything, to hear every part of it. Oh yes, sometimes the commandment is about this and sometimes the commandment is about that. But whether it's this or that, God wants us to be obedient. Now Jesus showed the same devotion of love that we've looked at really in the Old Testament. And this is the point that I really wanted to get to. You needed to hear this other before you began to see some of these, these phrases that Jesus comes out with. John 5 and verse 30. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Why? Because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Jesus didn't come down here to do His own thing. He wasn't going to be His own man. He didn't say, I'm going to do it my way. Or you can't please everyone, so you got to please yourself. He was somebody who wanted to serve His Father. You remember in in John 4 and verse 34, He makes the statement whenever they're trying to feed Him and He's seeing the people coming towards Him, these people who want to hear Him preach. And they brought Him food and He's not hungry. Did anybody bring Him anything? No, nobody brought... Finally, he had to say to them, John 4 and verse 34, Look, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His purpose. That was the driving force in the heart of Jesus. Whatever the Father told Him to do, He loved the Father, and He was going to do it. John chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. And oh, what a great lesson this is and what a great example for us. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, that is when I'm dying on the cross, then you'll know that I'm He and that I do nothing on my own initiative. But I speak these things as the Father has taught me and He who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone. And then He says, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. That ought to speak to us. I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. Jesus didn't become a lone ranger. Jesus was never a revolutionary. He was always in complete harmony with His Father. Oh yes, 
He was at distance with those who would have self-made religion among the Pharisees and the silly Sadducees and priests who had different ideas. But he was never having a revolution. He was establishing a new covenant, but he was doing it fully in harmony with the real power which is the Father in heaven. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. My, what a high bar. What a high bar. I wished I could say I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. Don't you? I think of the statement in John 12. If I were going to talk about another aspect, I'd talk about Jesus and His words. Jesus held His words very highly. Whoever's ashamed of me and of my words, of Him I'm going to be ashamed in the presence of the Father and the holy angels. That's in Luke 9 verse 26. I don't know anything he holds any more highly than he does the words. Why? Well, here's the reason, John 12, verse 49. He says, For I did not speak on my own initiative. In other words, I didn't make things up. I didn't dream them up. I wasn't preaching my message. But the Father Himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak, what to say and how to say it. Then he says, I know, here's the reason why he's so specific about it. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, and then watch the language, therefore the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Jesus was exact. And aren't you glad he was? Because those words He was teaching you and me were the words of eternal life. Eternal life. It mattered what He had to say. It mattered what He was trying to get across to you and to me. And we needed to know those things. Jesus took being the Son of the Father very seriously. And He only spoke and He acted as His Father instructed Him to do it. Jesus never acted on His own initiative or His own authority. He only acted on the authority of the Father. Now I'd go one step farther and say the Holy Spirit did the same thing. Look at John 16 and verse 12. You remember Jesus said, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when He, verse 13, that is the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. There were some things that were going to come along a little bit later on. You can imagine how there would need to be some things come on whenever you think about the Gentile world being added to the church. But here you have a situation where the Holy Spirit would guide them into all the truth. Now look what he said about the Holy Spirit. For He, the Holy Spirit, now now I know why when someone says to me, the Holy Spirit told me this or the Holy Spirit told me that and it's different from what you can read in this book, I know He didn't do it. I know He didn't do it. Why? Because He says, For He did not speak on His own initiative, on His own authority. But whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. And He was to guide them in the first century, the apostles, into all the truth. Well, if you have all the truth, you can't have any more truth than all. 
There isn't anything in this 21st century that wasn't taught in the 1st century. And the Holy Spirit was the one who was guiding the apostles and the prophets of the 1st century. And they are the ones who wrote this book down. Why wouldn't we wouldn't know any of these things were it not written in this book? We wouldn't know anything about Jesus, not really. What to do to be saved, how to be a church if it were not written in the book. But the Holy Spirit would not speak on His own initiative. And the Lord Jesus would not speak on His own initiative. Neither one of them were in the innovation business. They weren't in the let's start something new business on our own. We don't like what we've had so we're going to do something different. That was not the way of Jesus and it was not the way of the Holy Spirit. If the Lord Jesus never acted on His own authority and if the Holy Spirit never acted on His own authority then should we not follow their examples? How dare we act on our own authority? Are we better than Jesus? Are we better than the Holy Spirit? We have no right to act on our own authority. No right at all. Not at all. Now folks, there's a point to this. This thing that I have talked to you from the Gospel according to John, this is the reason why. We don't use instruments of music. This is a reason why we don't have one pastor and a bunch of deacons. This is the reason why we partake of the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. This is the reason why we don't sprinkle but immerse. This is the reason why we don't baptize little babies. We baptize people old enough to believe and repent and old enough to understand. This is the reason why we don't have some hierarchy that's over all, uh, all churches and all places but have congregations with their own elders and deacons and members and servants. This is why we need to obey the Lord lovingly, carefully, accurately, and completely. Why we need to be what God wants us to be. And I think this is really what the Apostle Paul was telling Timothy to do. When he said, do your best. That is, be diligent. King James uses the word study. But do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Somebody that when God looks down at you says, yeah, that's the guy I want. That's the guy I want close to me. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Now how do you do that? By being a worker who does no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. He did what God told him to do because he loved God and because it was important. He didn't add. He didn't take away. He didn't go to the right. He didn't go to the left. He didn't make up something new. He just did what God told him to do. Now again, I want to come back to this point about love and obedience. 1 John 2, verse 3, And by this we know that we've come to know Him. That is, 
we know that we've got a relationship with God. We know Him. He's our loved one. and He knows us and we know Him. If we keep His commandments. Whoever says, well, I'm a friend of God. I know Him. I'm close to Him. And God's close to me. But He doesn't keep His commandments as a liar and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word in Him truly, the love of God is perfected. That's what grows your love up. That's what makes it full and complete. That's what makes you what God wants you to be is whenever He looks down and says, this is a person who's going to keep my commandments. He cares about me. He listened to me. He didn't want to go this way or that way. He just wanted to do what He was told. That's when the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. Just as Jesus obeyed the Father, so should we obey the Lord. Whenever we come to Christ, whenever we worship, whenever we teach others, whenever we think about how the church should be, in our morals, and in our relationships with others. I always do the things that are pleasing to Him is the example of Jesus. Now I want to end our time by going back into John 14. John 14. All of us know those first three verses. We hear them quoted quite frequently at funerals. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many, King James uses the word mansions, New American Standard dwelling places. The English Standard uses the word rooms. If you've got a, a, a pen and you emphasize something in your Bible or you underline it, I want you to underline either the word mansion or dwelling place or rooms, whatever word you've got in your version. In my Father's house are many, whatever it is, I want you to underline that. Underline it. We're going to come back to it in a little bit. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, and if it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. Oh, what a great promise. Don't you know that they they were hearing him talk about going to the Father and going to be leaving them? That they were going to be doing all kinds of things in the future? People might hate them and all the things that take place. And he says, "Don't, don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going to come back one of these days for you and I'm going to take you home and you're going to be with me. Where I am there, you're going to be too. Oh, that's a great promise for the faithful Christian. To be in the Father's house. To be with Him. Now, it's important for us to know that because a little bit later in the chapter, He returns to that kind of a concept, but in a different setting. Turn with me now to John 14 and verse 15, a very familiar passage, simple. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Well, now that's simple. 
you don't have to be real smart to catch. Loving God means keeping His commandments. Unfortunately, sometimes the simple things are the hard things. Sometimes the simplest of lessons are the ones that we need to learn the best and be reminded the most. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Well, he doesn't just say that once in this chapter. He actually says it three times. Yeah, three times. He says it a second time in verse 21, and he adds something more to it, and I want you to hear this part. He says that he who has my commandments and keeps them He it is who loves me. Okay, we've got that part. But look what he says. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father. You love the Father and keep His commandments, you know what? He's going to love you. He's going to be loved by my Father. I believe that's a different category of love than you would have if you were not keeping His commandments. If you had no relationship with Him at all. Keep my commandments. He it is who loves me shall be loved by my Father and I will love Him. Jesus said, I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to pay attention to you. You're going to be special to me. You're no stranger. You're going to be somebody close to my heart. And you know what? I'm going to disclose myself to Him. Boy, that's intriguing. What does that mean? Well, I think he describes what he means in verse 23, where it is the third time he makes this same basic statement. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said to them, well, now, If anybody loves me, now that's an anyone. And you know what? That means folks in Choctaw, Oklahoma in 2018, almost one day say, 12 or 16 or something. Can you believe that two-thirds of the the year is already gone? But even right here, if anybody loves me, he's going to keep my commandments. He's going to keep my word. That's how important the word is to Jesus. And my Father will love him. We've seen that. But look at the third aspect of it. And we will come to Him and make our home, our abode, our dwelling place with Him. If you love me, my Father's going to love you. And you know what? We're going to come and we're going to make our house with you. We're going to live with you. Now, I want you to look at that word where He said, make our abode. Underline that word. Some versions use the word room or home. Now what I want you to know is that that's the same word in the original language. In verse 23, that that word mansion or dwelling place is in verse 2. Same word. The only difference is that in verse 2 it's in the plural. Why? Because God's opening up His house to many people. But in verse 23, it's singular. And that means you as an individual have got to open up your heart and let Him live with you. 
now. God could live anywhere He wants to live. He could live right here in Choctaw or up in Edmond. Or He could live in Hawaii or Israel or Mackinac Island up in Michigan. He could live in Canada or He could live in Russia or China or Australia. He could live anywhere He wants to live. But do you know where God chooses to make His abode? God chooses to make His abode with somebody that loves Him enough to keep His Word. Now here's the point. Here's the point. If you want to live with Him up there, You've got to let Him live with you down here. You can't go and be with Him up there unless He's been living with you down here. Going to heaven is not a brand new event. Living with God is not a brand new thing. If you're going to live with God there, then let Him live with you here. That's really one of the things that Jesus was trying to drive home to them on His last night with them. Oh, there's many things in the Gospel according to John that are beautiful and wonderful. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I like that. I like the fact that He's coming back for me. I like the fact that He died and laid down His life for my sins. If you ask me, Phil, why are you a Christian? I would talk about some intellectual reasons of why I believe. Oh, I might talk about this argument or that argument. Or refer to all of the prophecies fulfilled from the Old Testament to the new. Or I might talk about any number of reasons that intellectually I am a Christian. But if you ask me, Phil, why are you a Christian? I would point to John 12 and verse 32. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. That's why. Well, I have run out of soap and it's already past the hour and I apologize. Let's pray together. Father, help us to love You enough to die to ourselves and live for You and keep Your Word. Help us to carry our cross for You just as You bore the cross for us. And help us to live with You and to serve you from the bottom of our hearts. And may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name.